Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 275. The gang is back together. I'm in my regular seat. We have Cody Safnick on the line. Pay-Per-View Pat is his new nickname, is, uh, is on the sticks. People may remember way back in the day when this show first started, we had main event Kent. Uh, Kent used to talk about like all of the fights, and then eventually it was like main event, co-main event. He didn't really have much interest in a lot of the other things. We kind of cut him out of the uh, cut him out of the show. He's forever in our hearts. But yeah, Pat Mayo, he was on vacation. He's got kids. He's got lots of different things on the go. He's running the business. He pay he pays to have all of these lights on. So we're just lucky to have pay per view Pat on the sticks for the pay per view. Utilize the whole studio. Cody, pretty good week last week. Like made some money. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I did well in yeah. my picks, and then uh, t- two guys posted, uh, rest in peace for your parlays, the, uh, the Trezano, uh Lucas Almeida by knockout, 8-1. to one. That uh, was a nice little, nice little sprinkle on top of all the action for me. So, yeah, winning week. Let's keep the good times rolling because, uh, yeah, now we have nine straight weeks of UFC fights. So the time is now. Summer is money making time here um in the UFC. But uh yeah, any I mean you always you do an hour and a half uh recap every single week talking talking to yourself about all of the things. So I'm sure there's not much you have to say about the last card. Hour and five minutes, Paul. But yeah, no, outside of Trezano, that was like the real apple pie shitter. But top three tickets hit. We're happy with that. We move on. Nine more weeks. Let's try to make them all profitable. Uh, this card, pay-per-view, it doesn't look good. It really doesn't look great outside of a, a couple select fights. Obviously, kick-ass main event, but, you know, taper off expectations after that. That being said, last week's fight night, you and I kind of ridiculed it. Not a good-looking card, but you can find those little gems. You can find those little spots you like. And thank God the guy that Alonzo Menafield was fighting showed up as the exact version of him that we thought might show up. So, Happy to get that one out of the way, but uh, no rest for the wicked. I don't feel ultra prepared for this one. I've had a couple of things kind of caught my attention during the last week. So, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt. And I think there's still more tape study to be done. Want to watch Wayne's, want to watch all these things. You and I spoke about it. They're fighting at seven o'clock in the morning. So some of those early prelims, you could get a different version of the fighter than you expect just because mm-hmm. uh, jet lag and the time zone and your body physically peaking at a certain time. And if the UFC and the bookies, if that wasn't enough for them, if they really want to get your money back from last week, four women's MMA fights on the card, Paul. Are you kidding me? Just trying to take my money. So I'm trying to be smart. I'm trying to be tactical. But uh, as always, happy to chat fights with you. All right, we got Yuri Prohashka taking on Glover Teixeira for the light heavyweight championship of the world. Yuri is a minus 200 favorite. Glover can be had for plus 170. Bookie never gives Glover Teixeira any respect, Cody. I mean, this is it's not, it's not rocket science. Here's how this fight kind of plays out. Either we see old Glover, the chin issues. I mean, even against uh, Tiago Santos, we saw him get hurt. He just didn't die. Um... He either gets chin check, gets finished. Yuri's super, super dangerous on the feet. My biggest question for you, and maybe you don't even have the answer. Maybe nobody has the answer because Yuri's just been ice and fools since 2014. He's on like a 12-fight winning streak. Or 2015, he got knocked out by uh, King Mo. 
Um, he's just been icing fools ever since then. But can this guy wrestle? Because that is the real big key. Glover's, you know, only going to throw his hands to break the pocket, get in there, get his get his double or double leg takedown, and once he gets that fight to the mat, well, it's uh, it's Glover, it's Glover time at that point. So, uh, my initial thoughts on this fight is. I mean, Prohaska very well could knock out Glover. That chin that we, you know, that people were fading for a long time could reemerge. This is the the ripe type of opponent for that type of situation. But I'm going to lean on Glover does get a takedown, and I don't know enough about Prohaska's ground game, but I don't think he's going to be able to hang on Glover's level. So Glover by sub is how I would go, but I don't have any money on the main event yet. I wanted to hear what you had to say. Yeah, I think it's a volatile main event, but goddamn Glover takes air. Like, you can't turn the blind eye. You and I did an awesome job of riding the gravy train. We hit him, uh, even money, Carl Roberson. Even money, Ian Kudalaba. Even money, Nikita Krylov. We hit him at plus 175 with Anthony Smith. We hit him at plus 200 versus Tiago Santos. And we both collectively jumped off the wagon going into the, the Blockwitz fight because it was like, ah, oh, old man Glover can't keep cash in these tickets. Can't keep being that that money man. Just follow Glover. Just bet we Glover just blindly. Flat wrong. You'd be up it. And yeah, flat wrong. Like the guy still got it. Maybe you should just ride it. If they're gonna give you plus money on a guy that's this much of a savvy veteran, yeah, man. Jeez, he's got he's got the tools. He's got that grinding style. BJJ Black Belt, but of course the wrestling. But once he gets on top of you, his top control is second to none. He really just sucks the life out of you. Of course, he can bang standing, but what you're seeing now in the later years, Glover, <clears throat> is that um the speed's just not quite there anymore. He seems a little bit lumbering, a little bit more lethargic. Can still throw big hooks, big hammers, but it's when the fight gets to the ground. Now everything you proved, you said is true. You know, maybe he's a little bit chinny. Thiago Santos dropped him hard in the first, mm-hmm. dropped him hard in the third, and then uh, he gets the victory. Anthony Smith just absolutely punched his face off in that first round, way too fast for him. Then he got a hold of Anthony Smith, took him down. Uh, you need to go back to the Carl Roberson fight. Carl Roberson lands some nasty elbows up against the cage, drops Glover, he looks out of it. And rebounds. So in one case, maybe he is a little bit chinny. On the other hand, he's won, he won all three of those fights. <laughs> you don't just got to knock him down. You better knock him out. You got to finish And the one it. thing with Erie is that, yeah, Yeri tends to put people all the way out. He's got a lot in his arsenal. The thing with as crazy and dangerous as he is, is he leaves a ton of holes in his game, right? And those holes can be exploited with the takedown. Like throwing spinning back elbows and spinning back fists and, you know, darting in and out of the pocket. And that's all, it's all well and good against striking base guys. And Dominic Reyes is a striking-based guy. Volkan Uzdemir is a striking-based guy. You dart in, you throw a, a naked spinning back fist and give up your back for two seconds, Glover gets a hold of you and peels you to the ground. Mm-hmm. You're in trouble. So he's only 29 years old. I do expect him to make some improvements in his game. He's been working a lot specifically on his grappling, but whereas normally I would say Glover's 42 and a little bit washed, it's like Glover's 42 and he's had that 11 more years of uh, training and he could put it to some really solid good use. So... I'm contemplating over using Petroska, using Petroska high up on tickets, but full intention of hitting my hedge out. Like it would be an easy hedge out situation to go with Glover, who's going to be plus 185 by the time fight goes around, does have a live shot at winning this. And I I think the under two and a half is like the safest way without backing any certain guy is the under two and a half because Yuri's probably going to catch Glover in the first two rounds if he's going to win this fight and knock him out. If he does not catch him in the first round and a half, two rounds, and Glover is 
successfully getting takedowns and ending up on top of him, he's going to maul him, right? So you kind of feel like the fight's not going to go super late and there's some value on the unders. But in terms of like an outright winner, my head tells me Yuri's going to catch it way too fast, way too long. This is not the apex. It's a full-size cage in Singapore. He's going to be able to utilize every little bit of it. Glover's going to have to chase him, right? He moves excellent laterally, fights well off his back foot. So as Glover's coming forward, he's probably going to intercept old man Glover with something and put him over. But that's my head. My heart's telling me Glover's going to wade to the left. He's going to wade to the right. He's going to launch a hook. He's going to press him up against the cage. He's going to peel him to the ground. Once Glover's on top of you, that's when your problems really start because mm -hmm. nobody that's had Glover on top of them have been able to do anything about it. And Misha Cherkinov, Misha Cherkinov, it was a high-level BJJ blank belt. And when he took on Glover, it was like, mm, Glover takes Sarah's on a whole other level. It's manpower. It's strength. He used to be known as a striker, but his grappling's just really come a long way. So I'm torn. And this is part of the reason I don't think I'm fully prepared for the show and I want to dive deeper is that I'm not fully comfortable with my pick here in the main event. I do think Glover's live, but I am going to take Yuri. I just think the at some point you got to hand off the torch. At some point the future is coming. This guy's way too dynamic. I think he's got enough cardio to fight a hard three rounds. And he's going to gas out hard after that. But three rounds should be enough to catch Glover at some point. And as far as his takedown defense goes, yeah, a bit of an unknown. King Mo had taken him down and smoked him way back when, but he rematched King Mo, you know, a year later yeah. or something and got his revenge. Right, and it's a his long wrestling time, had improved. He's six foot four. Like he's a big, old, strong, athletic guy. Getting starting to get in some high level reps. And again, he said he appreciated this Glover Texera matchup because it's caused him to focus on his grappling exclusively. And he's like, this is an area of my game I need to improve anyway. So it's given him a chance to do that. But in his own words, this is an issue. This is a area of my game that needs work. It's not an area of Glover's game that he needs work. So yeah, if he takes him down, it's going to be one hell of a sweat. I'm just hoping the. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm hoping Glover gets KO'd because I'm a fan of his, but, you know, for bet purposes, I would hope that it gets done early rather than later. All right, we got Valentina Shevchenko taking on Tyla Santos in the co-main event. Minus 630 for the gun. And plus 450 for Santos. Probably the most interesting, I suppose, fight that Valentina's had in a little bit because Santos has been running through the division. Obviously, her UFC debut not exactly a great look, losing a split decision to Mara Barella. But ever since then, running through it, and she seems to be getting better every single fight. Absolutely obliterated Joanne Wood last time. I was on, I believe I was on Santos by decision. So, egg on my face in that spot. But uh, how do you see this one shaking out? Like, is it is it easy work for the champ? I think this is a pretty difficult matchup compared to what Shevchenko's been up to recently. Yeah, so this one's kind of difficult to tell. How, how, how much has she really been up with? Uh, on one hand, when you're that dominant of a champion as Valentina's been, I think it's tough to probably get motivated for the next contender. And at some point, someone's going to catch you. Someone's going to take advantage of your laziness. You kind of saw it with, to a lesser extent with Amanda Nunez. You beat everybody. They start giving you random Megan Andersons of the world and Jermaine Durandamies of the world. No offense to Jermaine. Technically, she's a world champion. Uh, you just, you have a kid, you have a family, you, you are a multimillionaire and Valentina seems very focused. She's always been very focused. She's not married. She doesn't have a kid. This is her life. But at some point, maybe you got to wonder if someone's not just going to catch her sleeping. It's women's MMA. You never like to pay these heavy price tags and you're getting fed another Valentina Shevchenko minus 650 against an interesting challenger, like you're saying. But to me, I'm not really all that excited with Taylor Santos quite yet as a challenger. What makes her, what makes her interesting per se? So you look at her wins, right? Joanne Wood. Joanne Wood's one in four 
in her oh. last five fights, considered washed. Roxanne Monteferi. Roxanne Monteferi's one and four in her last fights, uh, five fights, and retired. Jillian Robertson. Jillian Robertson's one and three in her last four fights. Just not really having the success against like anything beyond low-level competition. Yeah, she can still be Pollyanna Botello and whatnot. Anyways, so so how do you go from that to a world title challenge? Like, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I think it just goes to show that they, they don't have anybody in the division, so they're willing to rush her. She doesn't have to fight Caitlin Chukagian. She doesn't have to fight Jessica Andrade. She doesn't have to fight any of the legitimate challengers because if she does, she might lose, and if she loses, she can't challenge her a title here. Yeah. So instead, they've just kind of fast-tracked her there. Now, this is not a good UFC card, but it is a pay-per-view. So what the UFC does is they're just like, you guys like uh, Glover versus Yuri? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. And they're just like, you like uh, Valentina Shevchenko versus uh, this girl? You're like, eh, kind of a weak card, no? Two title fights, dog. <laughs> two title fights. And that's the selling point. Is like, you can't call it trash because it's a two-title fight card. But at the same time, it's like Valentina's not really fighting the number one girl in the world. She might be taking on a top three or four girl in the world. So anyways, that aside, let's look at the numbers, right? And Taylor Santos did look good in that fight versus Joanne Wood, where she knocked her down twice and landed, by her standards, 30 significant strikes in one single round. But everything prior to that is super low output, Paul. I mean, 55 significant strikes landing against Roxanne Modafferi with five takedowns. Those takedowns, not likely on the table here against Valentina Shevchenko. 55 significant strikes in, in a 15-minute span. It's not going to get it done either. It's yeah. low output against Jillian Robertson, 27 significant strikes. It's fairly low output against Molly McCann. And that's a fight where, again, five takedowns, she's spending the majority of it on top. And then, of course, there's the loss to Mara Barella. Long time ago, doesn't mean anything. Not even worth watching back. But how could somebody go from losing to Barella to beating Valentina Shevchenko and winning a world title? Beyond me, I just don't see it happening. So, again, I think Valentina's focused enough that she wants to make this fight happen. She's a world traveler. She's traveled to every country. She's fought in every time zone. She's a consummate professional. I don't think anything's going to bother her on a card like this internationally. She's got the wrestling advantage, I would say, over Santos. She's got the striking advantage over Santos. And even if Santos is able to keep it relatively close or competitive in that early going, which is possible, I'm not 100% sure Taylor Santos can fight a hard five rounds where I know Valentina can. You know, Jennifer Maya is twice the size of this girl, right? You take on a big opponent who's plotting and, you know, can give you some some fits here and there, but she finds a way to win. Might have a bad first round. She lost the first round against Maya to everybody's surprise. But it's like she's got that world championship caliber. So minus 650, minus 630, whatever your book's offering. Again, there's not a whole lot of value there. It's women's MMA. It's dangerous as it is. Um, but you would, I, I get the impression it's going to be an over three and a half, over four and a half fight goes the distance, Shevchenko decision. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to dive deeper because like top ticketing women's MMA is a, a bit of a stretch and get, you know, everyone's this been burned is, there this before. Is but this is Valentina Shevchenko yeah. against the number five girl. So you got to think like the best, now's a chance. probably the best female skill for skill on the planet right now. Yeah, when they used to say stuff like Ronda Rousey could defeat some of the Bantamweights on the roster, it's like, no, the males. It's like, no, no, she couldn't. And then when they used to say, like, you know, Amanda Nunez could defeat some of the guys on the roster, it's like, I don't think so. I really don't. Valentina Shachenko, man, I'm telling you, she's about as skilled as it gets. Her striking's actually elite, right? Her wrestling's elite. Would she knock the guy out? Probably not. But, like, would she go out there and defeat your average man at 125 pounds on the regional scene? Like, dude, I bet you she would. She is an extreme talent, and 
She's also like a, a highly skilled um, gunsman. Like she's got her like license and is, she's basically a trained assassin, right? Question. She can handle questionable. I don't even want to say that on record. Let's delete that out of, uh, let's edit that out of the show because I don't want to be caught on saying it on record, giving away her secret identity. But she's like 008, right? She goes out, she takes care of business. And I expect the same thing here. And if there was one person like on the whole roster, I don't have to question about throwing a fight. It's her, you know what I mean? She just wants it so bad. Legacy's so much to her. So sure. uh, I likely end up going Valentina on the top ticket, but uh, I, I do have some hesitancy at this like exact moment. Shevchenko versus Adrian the Bully Wooly. Who you got? Well, Adrian and Wooly at this point is like 50 years old and a high-level police officer within, I think, the Peel community. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to disrespect any guy from saying, <laughs> yo, this girl would come in and whip your ass. But, like, the facts don't lie. And I'm not saying guys on the UFC roster per se. Uh, maybe a few of them. But certainly on, like, good regional. Like, yeah, it was a good example. You brought up a good regional show guy, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, she probably boots them in the head. They get gassed after five minutes. She doesn't get gassed. She fights for 25 minutes. Like, she's got a lot of intangibles the average person uh, doesn't have. But that's enough about her. I mean, it's a, yeah. she's the biggest favorite on the card, rightfully so. We all agree with it. I think you take her probably by decision if you're going to take her uh, to try to get some better value. But that's about it. I believe main event Ken actually held pads for her when she was in Toronto one time. And he was, like, astounded by how, how crisp and how, like, powerful – she was for an 125 pound fighter. So, I mean, she's yeah, incredible. She TKMT. He was an yep. instructor at TKMT in their yep, downtown location. Oh, is he still? Yep. Yeah, Kent's a good guy, man. He's got like other shit that went on in his life that he couldn't commit to the show. But remember, he like showed up. Uh, quick story: main event, Kent shows up to like a demo. It's, just, it's a smoker demo kickboxing match where he's gonna take on some other guy who's probably not done this very often. And they're just going to have a good time. And the dude, no shows, okay? And then so the master Ken's of like, ceremonies oh, at this, yeah, the master of ceremonies at this local event is just like, well, I've got, uh, and they're like, this guy's just like shredded, jacked. This is Kent's, this is Kent's fighting debut as well. He's like, oh, I got yeah. my gloves and my, uh, and all my pads. And, uh, and Kent's like, uh, you're the master, like you're the, the MC for a, underground kickboxing uh show he's like obviously this guy's amazing and kent like went in there fought him went the distance and broke like four ribs <laughs> he broke his rib fighting this master of ceremony dude's like i got my gloves in my car like oh what a setup job yeah um just brutal ken ken good guy ken good guy i think taylor santos being led into a similar situation all right we got uh wet uh Zhang Weili taking on Joanna Jacek. It's a rematch from, or, I mean, beginning of the pandemic, March 7th, 2020. Uh, Zhang Weili, a minus 165 favorite. And Jacek can be had for plus 145. Super, super, super duper close fight. First time they fought. Last time it was a five-round fight. I think the longer the fight goes... It tends to favor Yin Jacek. She's kind of like a Max Holloway where it's just like you get into rounds four and five. You get into those championship rounds and she can go as fast as she was going in round one as she goes in round five. Other people can't do that. I think Zhang Weili, even though it's a super, super close fight, and even if you go by the stats from the previous fight, I think 
if you put Zhang Weili in a three-round situation like this, I think she's a rightful favorite at minus 165. I think she can really go like gun, guns a-blazing, doesn't have to worry about gassing, gassing out late in this spot. Yohan Jacek, obviously probably a little bit of rush. She does seem like she's in really good shape if you, uh, if you check her out on the gram right now. But three-round fight, I think it's Zhang Weili. Singapore fight, I think, is Zhang Weili. Uh, I guess she's been working on a whole bunch of wrestling with Henry Cejudo and all of that as well. So maybe she can mix some of that in and steal a round or steal round one with, with a takedown and some top control. That would be pretty huge for her as well. Um, I think she's a rightful favorite. I don't know if I'm going to get there from a betting perspective. What do you think, bud? Yeah, I'm taking a flyer, I think, on Joanna and Jacek. Like, part of me is worried about it. I think that Zhang's probably made the bigger improvement since. Joanna, I'm not going to call her wash because she's world championship. But again, here's somebody at now age 34 is potentially not at her best. She's made the money. She's been a world champion. She's likely a Hall of Famer as it is. So it's not. It's difficult to get up for the challenge every day. And she's been very vocal about injuries, taking time off. And on top of that, she doesn't want to fight the contenders. She wants to fight the best of the best. Only the best of the best will draw her out. So she's coming into this fight effectively two years and three months off since the last time that they met. Is she coming in as a better version of herself because she looks really good on Instagram? I don't know. Frank Camacho looked really good on Instagram a couple weeks ago. And yeah, same old Frank Camacho once the fight actually started. So it's not always the best read, which you can get on social media, that they're in good shape. She's been off for two years, right? Clearly, she's had time to work on fitness and, you know, getting in shape. And she's had the enhancements, let's be real. Her gram is definitely work to follow. Uh, but has she made improvements in the mixed martial arts realm of things? I, I'm not entirely sure, right? But uh, it's a three-round fight. I'm really sold on the three-round fight component of it. Because if you look at the first fight, I know what you're saying. Favors Joanny and Jacek the longer the fight goes. But I don't necessarily agree. In the first round, close, competitive, Joanny and Jacek, a little faster, a little bit crisper, a little bit sharper, and I, I'd probably score the first round for Joanny and Jacek. Close. Second round, well, it's a close round either way. Second round, Joanny strikes her 30 to 20 on the stats, moving around nice, likely wins the second round. Third round, Joanna again, ever so slightly clipping her out. If that fight ends right there, it's a split decision win for Joanny and Jacek. The strange thing is, is that it's Eric Cologne. Eric Cologne scores the first three rounds for Zhang and the, the first two rounds Zhang, the last three rounds for Yin Jacek, showing just like you're saying, the longer this thing would go, but help out. But Michael Bell and Cleary see it the same way I got it, whereas Joanny and Jacek wins two of the first three rounds. And then the longer the fight goes, what's happening is they're both landing at the same rate, mm -hmm. but Zhang hits way harder. So the longer the fight goes, Joanna's face just starts swelling up yeah. bad. And she's bleeding. And even though she's still able to throw three, four punch combinations and still throw, it, it visually, it does not look good to the judges. It doesn't look good to the fans. In a three-round fight, that damage accumulation, it wouldn't quite be there. So I still think she's going to have a speed advantage. I still think she's going to be a little bit sharper. And I think two of the first three rounds, she'll be able to edge out just on volume and putting that pace up. It's the longer the fight goes, I would expect, age 34, start to slowing down, damage that you sustained the last time around, time off. All, all of that would likely be more of a factor. So honestly, women's MMA, as Pat Mayo, my boy, would say, can't go wrong just taking a flyer on the underdog. And in this case, your underdog is complete world-class, former world champion, excellent shape, American top team, everything you would really want out of a fighter. She's fought in Singapore before, I believe. 
yeah, just good good times for Joanny and Jacek. So, is it is is it something you can be confident in? No, no. Like I think it's, it's going to so be close. close. I think it's going to be competitive, time. just like the last fight. But the last fight was a 50-50 fight. It was a split decision. Both women had their moments. You can argue that fight through and through. The judges can't even agree on the same rounds. They all scored rounds for different uh, different fighters. Like. It was a very close, debatable fight, right? And this time around, I'm expecting some of the same, right? Much of the same, in fact. And you're getting, you know, a decent enough plus money price tag on Joanny and Jacek, the former world champion. So why not? Is it going to be lower on the level of priorities this week? Likely, but a uh, underdog number one, Joanny and Jacek. All right, we got Manel Cop taking on Rogerio Bontarin, minus 235 Cop, plus 190 Bontarin. Manel Cop was supposed to fight Sumaderji back in April. I had a lot of CLV on that line. Hammered that, uh, the money line, early in the week, and then he busts for uh, metabolites of Turinabol, which is like legit steroids. Probably just a tainted supplement, yada, yada, yada. I'm surprised that he's back so soon. There must have been something that, you know, you know, Jeff Nowitzki letting him back into the fold here must have been a, a clear case of a taint, tainted supplement. I mean, his previous two performances, he looked pretty electric. Um, I will I will say that about him. I mean, if the if the cop who showed up against Zuma Gulov shows up against Rogerio Bontarin, Bontarin could maybe spam some takedowns, get some top control. And, and hold on for dear life. But when this fight is on the feet, Manel Kopp, the guy who showed up 53 significant strikes against Zalgis, I mean, that guy looked super dangerous. Bontarin's not going to have an answer for that. Rifle favorite, Manel Kopp. Um, what's Kopp by knockout? I know Bontarin is very, very durable, but but that the cop that showed up against, yeah, plus 130, it's not bad, but... Or plus 130, yeah. Doesn't get me too excited. I'd probably just stick to the money line. But, uh, or use, use cop as a, as a, as a parlay piece. Uh, cop should roll if, if, if what we saw in his last two performances are what we should expect moving forward. This guy looks like the real deal and he's gonna work his way into the top five. What do you think? He definitely could come out there, score a first-round flying knee, look like a million bucks, and be a top-five contender. But there is a part of me that's worried about how good is his ground game. He's a BJJ brown belt, but you haven't really seen him on his back for a prolonged period of time, and that's just exhausting. The thing with Rogerio Bontarin is that he's so one-dimensional in his approach, but he's aggressive, ultra-aggressive with it. And that's just attack, double legs off the cage, takedowns, grind, 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 try to take your back, put a grinding on you. But he's BJJ black belt. He's had a lot of success with it. I'll fully admit to underestimating this guy in that last fight against Brandon Royval. I think this guy's got cardio issues. I think he's a bit of a gas bag. He's very one-dimensional, as I mentioned. His striking, he's got a short little reach, pulls a lot of his punches. Uh, you know, just, you know, not not very good striking. One-dimensional was his approach. He's going to get smoked out by Royval. It's a decent enough price. We are heavy on Brandon Royval. The thing with Bontrine is that because he's ultra-aggressive and very physically strong, he's going to rack up multiple takedowns. And he got eight of them against Royval. Uh, first round's close. Second round, he wins. It's 1-1 against Brandon Royval, a top contender, going into the third round. And again, he loses the third because he starts to fatigue. But he gives like, a pretty good account of himself. Ends up losing a split decision in that fight. But as you see... With Royval, Royval probably is a top fringe top five guy, definitely top ten in the division. He's a legitimate talent. Bontrine's very physically strong. He can do that to guys. When you look at Manel Kopp, 
so far so good. They've largely given him strikers. When they matched him up against uh, Alexander Pantoja, Pantoja opted to strike with him. He didn't throw any strikes, and he lost a decision. Against Matus Nikola, Matus Nikola actually did take him down twice. As a result, he ends up losing the split decision, right? And I thought he lost. Odie Osborne, striker. Odie Osborne's winning the majority of that first round before he clips him with the flying knee. So he's fighting good level of competition, but he himself has yet to look good in the UFC to this point. And then he uh, put a he put a beating on Zalgas, and he looked really good, like you said. So is that showing that he's just way more comfortable and he's you know finally realizing his potential, or is it the Torino ball, or is it that he just happened to catch Zalgas early? Like who knows what it is? But what I'm saying is that none of those guys just bum rushed him with takedowns right off the get go and grinded him into the mat for two rounds. So. I think it's a dangerous enough opponent, but the way Bontarine fights, which is foot on the gas, 100% go, 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 when he does gas, he leaves himself real vulnerable. And I think at that point, Cap's going to catch him. So I'm almost thinking good live bet opportunity because Cap might lose the first round, getting taken down and getting grinded up against the cage. Second round, be more competitive. Hopefully he can stuff the takedowns, keep it up and catch him. In the third round, when Bontarine's tired and Cap gets to start the round standing, I think that's when he's able to throw something flashy connect with something put him away so i'm looking for a live bet on cop after the first i'm looking for a cop potentially tko round three because you know those props are always super juicy uh but part of me is worried about parlaying him up like higher up on the card like i I think he could be in for a rude awakening if he just gets taken down and gets out grappled against a better grappler which wouldn't be a shock to anybody i don't think it's just we're expecting magic out of the guy and that might not necessarily be the case And, and last but not least cop is a legitimate 25er, right? He's been fighting for 25 the majority of his career, fought in Japan against other fellow smaller guys. Whereas, like, Bontarin's pretty big for this weight class. He struggles to make the weight. You've seen him botch a couple weight cuts before. But, like, when he does get on the scale, like, he, he's a he's a big, strong, thick guy. So, just uh, maybe you want to watch Wayne's before you finally pull the trigger if you are leaning the other way here. Yeah, cap round three is, like, plus 750. Not as juicy as uh, as you'd probably yeah, hope. Isn't. Maybe as the week goes, sometimes they they don't like getting taken too early in the week by a lot of those props. You can you'll find better prices as the week goes along as they you know they get a whole bunch of handle. They feel a little bit more comfortable in their positions. They tend to uh, to uh, prop up those props as the week goes along. So interesting uh, to say the least. All right, we got Jack Della Madalena taking on Ramazan Amiv, minus one fifty. Jack Della. Plus 140 for Ramazan Amiv. I mean, this is a very, very straightforward fight. It's like either Jack Della is going to keep it on the feet. He's looked absolutely brilliant on the feet in his two UFC uh, performances. Andre Lusa was able to take him down once, but uh, his work on the feet is is excellent. And then following that up, Pete Rodriguez was a, it was a cupcake matchup. Like he was set up to win that fight. Don't get me wrong. But the real question becomes... Can Ramazan Amiv be a wet blanket and take him completely out of his comfort zone? I just don't know enough about Jack Jack Della's takedown game. Like, we haven't really seen him, at least in his last couple fights, have to take on anybody with any sort of game plan that Ramazan Amiv is going to bring to the party here. Uh, I'm really torn on this one. I'm leaning towards the dog, but if this stays standing, Ramazan Amiv loses... Uh, volume all day every single day and we're we are seeing like a trend right now like you think about like holly holm recently 
where if you're getting standing cage control, it's like the judges aren't rewarding that whatsoever. So that that's where a lot of Ramazan Amiv's success could be in this fight, holding Madalena up against the cage, and maybe the judges don't even reward any of that. Madalena, you know, breaks free eventually, lands a couple clean shots, and then steals those rounds. So, ah, gun to my head, I'll take I'll take the Russian. Um, but I don't think I'm going to get there from a betting perspective. What about you, buddy? Yeah, so that's an interesting point you brought up because I wanted to talk about it. It'd, it'd be nice if you knew who the judges were prior to the fight so you could look back at how do they, what's their judging style, and you can make a decision. Because it's been a trend uh, in the sport lately where it's the same thing, not, just holding a guy up against the cage, not getting it done anymore. you got to do something. It's got to be effective striking. It's got to be takedowns completed from it. Even a takedown, they're not really rewarding as much as they used to. you got to do something with that control. Now, it's not just... Okay, go back to the Eric Anders versus uh, Park. Everybody is mad about that fight. Oh, man, Eric Anders got raw. But you walk, watch back the fight, and he's getting outstruck 2-1. to one. He's getting robbled when he is getting hit, but he's holding up his opponent against the cage for a prolonged period of time. They don't reward it. People are upset. But I knew in my heart of hearts that was the right decision. Now the Holly Holm fight, well, that one's a little more difficult because I thought Holly Holm won. But it, it comes down to that they didn't reward her holding up her opponent up against the cage. You look at this past weekend, people are furious. I can't believe Zolga Zol, uh, Zumagulov got robbed against Jeff Molina. Did he get robbed against Jeff Molina? Because what happened was Jeff Molina's out striking him in the open field. He's landing short shots up against the cage, but he's being pressed up against the cage. How do you reward that? But you're seeing a trend. Now, Ramazan Ami starts off his UFC career like a madman. He beats Sam Alvey. He beats Alberto Mina, who is an undefeated high-level BJJ black belt at the time. He beats Stefan Sekulich. Uh, he, you know, he lost the Markman fight, but he beats Nicholas Stoltz. They've matched him up super soft. Stoltz looked awful in his last fight, going to be released. Seklich, I believe, is released. Alberta Mina retired. Sam Alvey, I think, is on a six-fight losing streak. Very low level, but he smothered those guys up, up against the cage, and they were rewarding him. Now that David Zawada fight, he does what he always does. He held Zawada up against the cage for a prolonged period of time. Everybody agreed that he won the fight the same way he always does. Very boring, wet blanketed him. Only one of the judges was like, I disagree with that. And scores it for David Zawada. Based on what? Based on the fact that Ameev doesn't do anything and they're getting sick of it. It's starting to catch up to him. So the Danny Roberts fight, it's the same shit. We all bet Ameev. Why? Because we thought he was going to hold Danny Roberts up against the cage. And he did. And Danny Roberts ever so slightly outstruck him, which who cares, said most of the time with his back up against the cage. Media members, fans may have scored the fight for Ameev, but the judges did not. Screwed him on a split decision. Now he's taking on Jack Della, who's way better than Danny Roberts. He's got three times the cardio. He's a better striker. He fights with more pace, more volume. The guy's all volume. He just doesn't stop. What you saw in the contender series against Lusa is he just pedaled to the metal the entire time. Great cardio. Wanted the contract. Got the contract. Solid victory. And then in his layup in the UFC, what do you do with a layup? What do you do with an easy opponent? Damon Jackson had a layup last week, right? He's a minus 700 favorite. You should go out and take out this guy, no problem. It's a greasy fight. They're not always easy. Jack Della does what you do with that level of opposition. Got a first-round TKO. I think he's young. I think he's exciting. I think he's improving. And I think the only thing Amif can do is press him up against the cage and maybe try to secure one or two takedowns over 15 minutes, whereas Della's going to be landing stuff in the clinch. He's going to be landing stuff at range. He's going to be pushing a pace. That's going to excite the crowd. It's a big cage. It's not the apex. He doesn't have to worry about the smaller confines of a smaller cage. 
I think he's just got a lot to work with here, and I think he gets the job done. So I hate betting against guys like Amiv because of that smothering style. It's yielded success for a lot of guys in the past, but like they're moved on. Like the John Fitch days are gone. Like those those days of just holding on to a guy and killing off the clock, they're not rewarding it the same way. And that's gonna cause people to have to change their approach and realize I can't just do this. So I don't know. It's probably good for the entertainment value of the game. It's dangerous when you're trying to cash tickets on that tactic these days. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just I think that, I think Dell is at the right point in his career to uh, match it up. Now it is in Singapore, so a lot of people would say, "Well, hopefully the Singaporean Athletic Commission." It's like, no, no, no. It'll be Vegas judges. They're going to bring in their own guys. It's just I don't know which guys. Yeah, Sal D'Amato. Sal goes everywhere these days, so. You got to watch out for Saul's Sal. like the most popular judge, and there's like something going on there, man. Like, ah. Something going on there. I mean, we always you see, people don't really know how to lose. I feel like I see a lot of that on Twitter these days. Yeah, of course. I mean, the there's been uh, we've been doing this for ten years, Cody. It's like there's been bad decisions forever, like Ross Pearson versus Diego Sanchez, like. There was something in the water in Albuquerque, New Mexico that night. Like, this is not, this is a problem that's not going away. It's, I don't, people go, oh, well, these people need to be trained better. It's just like half of my timeline can't agree on who won the fight half of the time. Why? Because people are betting on one side and people are betting on the other. And then they're, they're trying to justify their scorecard as unbiased when it's like, nah, man, you're pretty clearly pretty clearly biased i like to think that i'm pretty straightforward with my scoring and a lot of the times like if rounds are close it's like and and i'm going to decision it's like i'm prepared for it to be a split i'm prepared to lose the split it's like some rounds you just know it's like people are not going to agree on that round you can't be definitively like oh yeah he totally won that round i don't know um but yeah this problem's not going away it's the problem of human error um you just you have to de- roll with the punches. We, we bet on something that's incredibly dumb. People stripped down to their underwear fighting for money in a cage. Like, these things happen. These things happen yeah. in MMA. Yeah. Like, yeah. you just have and to be, also- you have to let it roll off your back. It's like, you're going to get, and that's the, the big problem that you see with a lot of people. It's just like, they only ever bring it up when they feel like they're getting robbed. But it's like, if they win a decision, they win a, a really, really close, greasy one. It's like, oh yeah, well he rightfully won. It's just like you have to understand you're lo- like in theory if it's a close split decision, you probably actually want to have that plus money ticket in those scenarios because over time uh they, they all they all balance themselves out. Like nobody's getting more robbed than anybody else. It's just something that I see people completely moaning and bitching about this type of stuff all the time it's just like act like you've won or lost a bet before it doesn't seem that difficult i don't know maybe i'm just getting old and maybe i'm just getting old and grumpy i'm in my late 30s now no and i hear you saying it's just it's different in football when it's it's 21 10 so at the end of it you know who won right Mm -hmm. it's a hockey game it's three two so at the end of it you know who won right in this case it's like very subjective (laughs) at the end of it it's like i pretty feel pretty good about it i thought holly holm won dude straight up it came down to the fifth round who wants it more and she showed exactly who wanted it more Mm -hmm. fifth round i thought was her best round and that was the debatable round that everybody was arguing about like what I see is not necessarily what the next person sees. And when you put money on the line, it's 
very biased. And then luckily for us, Yao Ji Kui uh, is not Feist and Hoist and Wee on the card. So Ooh. you don't got to worry about the local Singaporean. Remember that fight back in the day? Yeah. One of the reasons main event can't quit was because of Yao Ji Kui versus Hoist and Wee. He's like, I don't have the time, man. I don't have the time. And when people say the product's watered down now, just remember, Yao Ji Kui versus Hoist and Wee. What was going on? This card, I don't feel like there's going to be that you know, hometown buys. I think the crowd will be fairly neutral for the most part. I think it'll be entertaining fights. I'm not super worried about the judging, but as you mentioned, when you're betting this sport in particular, you absolutely have to be ready to get screwed at any moment. And so maybe you want to target the quick finishes on the card instead. UFC 275 is stacked. Step into the octagon with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Knockout, submission, or even judge's decision. No matter who wins the fight or how the fight ends, new customers can bet $5 on UFC 275 and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking for a big payday? Check out DraftKings Sportsbook's newest UFC feature, Same Game Parlays. Oh yeah, combine multiple bets like which fighter will win, number of knockouts, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, you can play same game parlays for Saturday's fight, and if it hits, you'll double your winnings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code DOP, throw $5 on UFC 275, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's code DOP this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, let's let's move on. I got I got my uh, my <laughs> gripe out of the way. We've got Brendan Allen taking on Jacob Malcoon minus three hundred. Brendan Allen plus two thirty five. Jacob Malcoon another striker versus grappler match. Uh, Jacob Malcoon can't really finish a sandwich. Can he get takedowns? Can he control Brandon Allen? Because on the feet, Brandon Allen is longer, more dynamic. He's going to cause a whole bunch of problems. Brandon Allen has a half-decent submission game as well, but I'm not sure he's going to be able to catch Jacob Malkoon. On the feet, Jacob Malkoon is just super, super plotting and, and deliberate. He's going to have to mix in a whole bunch of standing cage control. When he does get it to the ground, he's going to have to hold on for dear life. In this spot, I think Brendan Allen is a rightful favorite in this spot, but I'm kind of more leaning towards if I were going to play something like a Jacob Malcoon by decision, which is like plus 800 out there. Um, that would be where I would put my money. I don't think I'm going to build up the confidence to get there, though. Um, not very impressed by Jacob, uh, Jacob Malcoon in the slightest, but. What, he's Robert Whitaker's, like, BJJ coach or something like that? He's winning fights. He, he he has a very, very plotting, deliberate style. I'm not sure it's going to work here. I think Allen is the rightful favorite, but it's a little bit too much juice for me to squeeze. What's your take? Yeah, I got mixed opinions about it because I feel like I straight up got sold a bad bill of, of goods on Jacob Malcoon. I used to tell people about this all the time. I'd say he's Robert Whitaker's Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach, and he competed at the ADCC like Oceania trials. So compete at a pretty good level, ADCC qualifiers, Robert Whitaker's coach. He almost gets booked exclusively on Robert Whitaker undercards. And drumroll, please, Robert Whitaker was supposed to fight Marvin Vittori on this card. So, yeah, Jacob Malkoon props up in the undercard. N not surprised. Here's the thing that never really made sense to me. He's 26 years old. 
And when he signed with the UFC two years ago, he was 24 years old. So how is it plausible that Jacob Malkoon at age 24 was Robert Whitaker's jiu-jitsu coach? It never really added up to me. It never really made sense. But maybe he's a jiu-jitsu wizard. I mean, he competed at the ADCC trials, right? So he's BJJ black belt. Only he's not a BJJ black belt. They said in the broadcast for his last fight, he's a purple belt. <laughs> Guy's a purple belt. He competed some regional titles back home. How is he? How is he Robert Whitaker's jiu-jitsu coach? It doesn't make sense. So now he's still he's 26, and I just feel like that was all bullshit. And whereas I mostly bought into it was that last fight against AJ Dobson. I was like, he's going to get a hold of Dobson. He's going to peel him to the ground. He's going to put this jiu-jitsu to good work. Not only do I bet Malcoon, I fish a little Malcoon by submission. Great prop on it. What's he going to do to Jacob or AJ Dobson once he gets on top of him? But that's the thing. He doesn't really have much of a submission game. No, he's he just can happy take to you hold down. position. Yeah, in his last fight or two fights ago against Abdul Razak Hassan, he got eight takedowns over a judo black belt. You know, had a smothering, grinding type game to him, but not much in the way of like actual good grappling, just good wrestling, I suppose. And then in his last fight against Dobson, six takedown attempts. When Dobson got tired and Malkoon had the extra gear, he looked way out of place standing. You know, physically, AJ Dobson was a stronger man, but the longer the fight went, the longer that uh, Malcolm was eventually just able to suck the energy away from him and then get his takedowns. But again, the grappling, just I, I didn't really see much. He's not even trying to improve position. He's not even trying to pass. He just sets up shop on top of you and just kind of melts like cheese, tries to hold you to the ground. So my, my issue with Brandon Allen, the Brandon Allen fight is that Brandon Allen's way better than him stand-up. I mean, it's oh, definitely wait. a Brandon Allen stand-up game. And Brandon Allen is wrestling good enough to keep it standing to utilize that superior striking. As far as the grappling goes, Brandon Allen's grappling, better than Purple Bell level, truth be told, and he should be perfectly fine. It's that Brandon Allen doesn't particularly thrive in grinding fights. The longer fights go, he has a knack of ever so slightly falling apart. Of course, people bet him as a favorite against Chris Curtis, bad move. In the second round, he's tired, damage accumulates, he goes down. The fight against Sean Strickland, he was like, I want to meet you in the center of the cage and throw down. Meets Sean Strickland in the center of the cage, throws down, gets knocked out. That one's important because Sean Strickland doesn't knock out anybody. He's kind of a, just a decision guy. It stands there and throws jabs. So Brandon Allen in these fights that are a little bit more grinding affairs and get into the later rounds, like that's kind of when he falls apart. But Sean Strickland's probably going to fight for a world title within the next year. And Chris Curtis is one of my all-time favorite fighters and could beat anybody on a good night. So I can't fault Brandon Allen for those, man. Jacob Malkoon's operating down here. Brandon Allen's operating up here the benefit for him is that he's got better skills in every department of the game and it's the larger cage so just he needs to keep his back off that larger cage moveable move circle stay linear and then uh sorry stay uh you know lateral move side to side create some space and then i think he's going to chew him up with his striking so i do got brandon allen to get the job done all right we got sung Wu Choi taking on joshua kulabao minus 235 Choi plus 190 or plus 190 for Kulavo, who you got here, buddy? Yeah, so we could probably rifle through some of these bottom fights a little bit quicker because yep. I know we've <clears throat> talked about a lot of the other ones. But yeah, Suwong Choi, like I feel like he's on right on the cusp of kind of breaking into that upper echelon, that top fifteen. He's really long for the weight class, six foot, six feet tall. Comes from that Korean Muay Thai background. Uh, in his first couple fights in the UFC, they give him Mobzar Evlo of Gavin Tucker. That's not a great indication of where he's at. But you've seen in subsequent fights, if he does stay long, stay to the outside, he's physically strong, his takedown defense not terrible, and he, he's long, he's ranging, he has good striking. 
wins over uh, Yusuf Zalal and Julian Arosa in particular, those are quality victories, especially the former one against Yusuf Zalal, where he does get taken down early, but his takedown defense much improved, his get-up game much improved, and he's a better striker, longer, rangier guy. Against Bruce Leroy, the first round, he looks awesome. He drops Bruce Leroy. He's having his way. The second round, he makes a mistake. Bruce Leroy jumps on his back, catches him in a rear naked choke. Bruce is going to do that, okay? High-level BJJ black belt is Alex Caceres, you know, a very a very solid, talented, a very journeyman, experienced opponent that's fought an absolute gamut of opponents in the division. He made a mistake against a guy like that. You're caught. Josh Kulabau, I don't see it. Kulabau could not take down uh, Charles Jourdain. Sorry, uh, yeah, Charles Jourdain. Wasn't able to take him down despite Charles Jourdain's biggest weakness being his takedown defense. How is he going to rely on his takedowns against Sung Wong Choi? If he stands that distance with him, he's not going to be the bigger guy. He's going to be a lot shorter. He's going to be coming up on, uh, short on a lot of his punches, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's more of a power guy. He sits down on his punches and he launches these big attacks. Whereas against a Muay Thai, traditional Muay Thai guy like Sung Wong Choi, he's just going to be going teep up the middle, jabs, right hands. I think he's fresher. I think he's got more experience. I think he's bigger. He's stronger. Experience. Uh, I, 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 just, I just think he's got a lot of things going his way. So I think this is a good spot for him to jump back on track. Yeah, I agree with pretty much all of that. I was considering, what do you think of the under two and a half rounds here? Cool about the, He doesn't the... seem to me like he cracks with a ton of power. Like He can beat guys with his stand-up, but he's not, other than Mokhtarian, like he's not really putting the pedal of the metal on them. Whereas, yeah, Kulabau... Kulabau is not... I don't know. I think he's durable enough. At least durable enough to take the beating. I would think I mean, Kulabau, when he first showed up in the UFC, it was... You know, he had a lot of a lot of finishes. Uh, not really, actually. No, it's probably... That's probably about... I mean, he got finished by Jalen Turner, but Jalen Turner looks like a problem in, in, in progress. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean that Nuran Debiecki or whatever. That guy's just super, super durable. Um that's why that fight went to decision. Going to the distance with Jordan was I mean, Jordan's on on a run right now too, so yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. I think Choi's the right rightful favorite. Minus two thirty five seems like a high price to be paying. All right, moving on down, we got Steve Garcia taking on the legend of Mahashate. Plus 170 Garcia, plus one, or sorry, minus 170 Garcia, plus 150 Ma- Mahashate. Who you like? Mahashate, Mahashate, Mahashate. Yeah, this guy is pretty legendary. I mean, uh, one name people, you know, share, of course, uh, Danny Trejo in the movie Mahashate, which I think is which his inspiration going forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he's that little unknown. You look at his regional show stuff, and it's always hard to gauge a lot of these Chinese prospects when they come over and what they're fully abil- what they're fully capable of. He was at the UFC Apex in Shanghai. Those guys haven't really had a great track record. He's on the Contender Series. The other Chinese prospects don't do good on that episode of the Contender Series, or any of the episodes of the Contender Series for that matter. And then he showed something against Achilles and that he's not all that skilled early. Uh, Achilles just kind of ran around him in the early going. But then the later the fight goes, when Achilles starts to tire, this guy's tough. He had some pretty good durability. He fought his way back into it. The UFC need to sign Chinese prospects for cards just like this. And they did exactly that. They signed him up. So I think he's still green. I think he's still got a ways to go. But he showed that he is a fighter. He's going to fight the full 15 minutes. And I think that he's got enough power to go out there and make it interesting with guys. I think he could catch a certain level of opponents in the UFC, but his grappling and his pace and just don't I, that, really that'll know. be a problem. We don't, just really don't really know, know about his grappling. But you get a feeling, yeah, you get a feeling it perhaps could be really not great. Bad. 
It could be really bad. Now, Steve Garcia, again, this he could make me look like an idiot here or he could look make me look really good, but he's got the skills to win this fight. He needs to get a hold of him, clinch him, rip him to the ground, and put his, uh, his grappling to good use. His top game, not terrible. His size for the division, not that bad. If he's able to employ that game plan, he will have some success with it. The thing is, is that he was everybody's favorite, and mine included, against Charlie Ontiveros because, because in what world do we live in that Charlie Ontiveros is going to win a fight in the UFC? Not going to happen. Not the world Not I want to live in, no. Oh, man. He oh, yeah. was out. Charlie Ontiveros had him cooked up. He is hurt. He is falling all over. Thank God he's fighting Charlie Ontiveros. So he falls on top of him. And then from there, it's uh, it's money in the bag. But what you did see was that he was able to clear the cobwebs and recoup. And when he does recoup, he is relentless with his top, uh, top pressure. It will continuously grind away at you. You continuously chip away at you. And that size eventually starts to become a problem, right? And I think that's kind of what's going to happen to Mahashet. He could catch him early. He's got enough power to knock out Steve Garcia. But Charlie is a long pant kickboxer. He's very long. He's got the karate. And he's very long and athletic. And he just kind of grazed him with the head kick and hurt him. I, I don't think Mahashat's going to get that quick jump on him. I think he's going to try to set up his punch a little too long. Steve Garcia is going to get a hold of him and take him down. And Garcia's cardio good enough that I think he'll be able to continuously do it for a couple rounds, survive the third if he needs to, and win a decision. Am I concerned that the South Asian fighter would get a favorable nod in Southeast Asia against the American? Yeah, yeah, could happen. If this is a close fight that's going to go 15, and I think it's going to be a close fight that goes 15, maybe they swing it the other way. But I think uh, my, my actual pick would be Steve Garcia. The minus 170, I don't like all that much. I don't love it. But how, when are you ever really going to agree with the price tag? You generally got a little bit of reservations about it. And I do have reservations about this one. I just think he's got the superior skill set. needs to get the takedowns. needs to get that grappling going early. But I think he should be able to bank two of the three rounds. I bet Mahashate. I actually took a bad number. I took him at plus 135. I think it's the wrong fighter favorite. Anybody who gets knocked down, put on skates by Charlie Ontiveros, as you were mentioning, is like that's just a bad. Why do you think they? Why do you think they brought Steve? Why do you think Steve's in Singapore? Why do you think they brought Steve over? Cause he got knocked. You're you're the narrative guy. You're the narrative guy. Why do you think they brought Steve over? Why why Steve over, over in over in Singapore? It doesn't make. They're trying to use. They're like who is like the worst guy that we have on the roster to try to get. This potential is the best kid that they, that came off of Contender Series. He was a massive underdog in Contender Series, but that had more to do with the fact that the, like the books just had no idea who he was. Like the, nobody really knew what the kid was gonna look like until like he shows up at weigh-ins. He's enormous for 155 pounds, and then I thought, yeah, a little bit of a rough start, but against Achilles. But rounds two and three really showed like a lot of promise. He's 22 years old. I bet Mahashate here. I'm willing to do a shoey bet with you on this Ooh. one. If you want, if you really want to trust on Steve's wrestling at like, at like six o'clock in the morning or what, what would it be? No, it would be like 10 o'clock in the morning for Steve uh, over in Singapore. If you, if you want, if you want some of this action, you want some of this heat, I'll take, I'll take the underdog uh, for shoey as well. I'll I'll take that action. I'll take that action. I sh I shouldn't for sure because again everything you're saying makes sense and I think in Singapore especially you know if it is a decision could be uh could be close but 
The kid's 22 years old. Steve Garcia is a man. Steve Garcia wrestled at Central New Mexico Community College. He's a man, and he's going to have that wrestling advantage. Yeah, and that's where I want this fight to play at. Central. He loses to anybody. New Mexico who's half, Community College. He loses to anybody who's half decent. Luis Pena, Alan Cruz, Joe Warren, Ricky Tercios. Like, eh, who's his best win on his record? Ken Moy? Ronnie, Ro Ronnie Lawrence? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That's... What was up? Tennessee's Yeah, but Ron, Ron, Ronnie Lawrence is a bantamweight. Yeah, I know. Steve Garcia's a lightweight. Uh, I know, and he fought Joe Warren, who's a flyweight. He always fought a band. Yeah. I, I get, I get all your reservations. I do. I do. The legend grows. Maybe it's a dogger pass. On Saturday. Maybe it's a dogger pass. I just haven't. Uh, I haven't. I mean, I took a bad number. Anything. I have plus one thirty-five. You can get plus one fifties out there. Um, it's probably going to settle around mm. this number right now. So I, I bit the bullet. I got in a little bit too early, but uh, them's the breaks. All right, we got Andre Fialo taking on Jake Matthews. Fialo, a minus 140 favorite. Jake Matthews can be had for plus 120. Your take? Well, Jake Matthews has let us down so many times. I, I don't know. Like, Do you try to bank off him one more time for good measure? Like, I, I, He was an uber prospect. He was super talented. He never left. His confines of uh, his small gym. His dad is his head coach. He never like was able to go out and uh, and really mature as a fighter. But his wins are all guys that they tailor made for him to grow him. It just never worked out. Diego Sanchez cut. Emil Weber Meek cut. Rostam Ackman, the only guy that they allowed to fight with a shirt in the UFC, a sweater for that matter. Mm -hmm. uh, but cut. Shinzo Anzai cut. Jing Lang Lee stud. Uh, Bojan Vilikovic uh, cut. Johnny Case, cut. Akbar Theriola, who almost knocked him completely senseless, cut. Wagner Rockna, cut. Deshaun Johnson, the dude that got cut for taking a pro boxing match while under contract with the UFC. What? Cut. So, his, again, his wins have always been super low level, and some of them he looks really good. Some of them he doesn't look so good, but it's hard to really gauge can he get over that hump. The losses are to the hump. James Vick, Kevin Lee. He lost a fight against Andrew Holbrook in his own backyard as a minus 500 favorite. He just he never really comes up with any of the meaningful victories. So it's been rinse and repeat. And against the last fight against Sean Brady, we all load up on Sean Brady because one guy's a legitimate talent and one guy's a busted prospect in Jake Matthews. And what you see from Matthews is large improvements. He's filling out his frame. Like he left 155, he's back at 170. He's really filled out his frame. His striking is getting a lot better. His grappling is getting a lot better. He's just not at that level. Sean Brady's BJJ black belt, world-class operator, wrestling advantage, striking advantage. He can beat him wherever he needs to. So, and for the record, Brady's a top five guy in the division. One of the few guys with his hands up, like, I'll fight Kamzat. Well, him and Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad's a gangster. He'll fight anybody. Those are upper echelon guys. So can I give Jake Matthews a pass? Sure. Then I look at it and I think he's 27 years old. Like, could he not, in theory, at some point, turn the corner? Could he not, at some point, you know, gain the edge? I don't know. But it's interesting to note that Andre Fialo is in a similar position. He was a prospect bust. Guy was undefeated for Bellator. Next thing you know, he's losing to, you know, regular guys. Regular guys that end up being good. Chidi Njikwani. Yeah, Curtis. his losses aren't but bad. No, not bad losses in the slightest bit, well, but he's just kind of never Antonio got Dos there. Santos Jr. That, and if you watch that fight in particular, like That's real bad. bum stuff. And Dos Santos Jr. hadn't fought in like three years and was a bum in the UFC, went winless. So it was like a really bad loss, but he, he wasn't realizing his potential. Now you see him in the UFC realizing that potential, getting those big wins, finally turning the corner. And I mean, this is a guy that is, 
28 years old. Because when you're young, you can make mistakes. You can still make improvements. Matthew's 27, making improvements. So I'm not fully willing to write him off just yet. I, th- I think he could have a decent performance still in the bag, one that's left over, right? This is slight dog money. I'm tempted to take the shot on that dog money. The reason why is when you look at Andre Fialo, you know, the Antonio Dos, uh, Antonio Dos Santos Jr. fight, he loses because he doesn't have a modicum of grappling. He gets taken down whenever he needs to. He gasses out because he's not a grappler, and grappling causes strenuous activity to him, and he gasses out, but he can strike. So his subsequent wins, he knocks out James Vick. Nice knockout. Striking battle. Beats Vick. Something been known to happen to James Vick these days. Sang Hu Yu, 18 seconds, first round. Lincoln Puig, one-dimensional striker. First round knockout. Stefan Sekulich. First round, he knocked him out less than two minutes into the first round. Michelle Pereira, pretty much a, a striker, guy that likes to strike. That's his game plan, strike, right? Miguel Beza, straight-up striker. Cameron Van Camp, straight-up striker. His resurgence is because guys are standing in front of him, mm-hmm. and he's a pretty good striker. But you've not seen him on his back. You've not seen him getting taken down. You've not seen any part of that part of his game. So it's an assumption that he's improving. It's an assumption that that work at Sanford MMA has translated over into the grappling, which there's a lot of guys like Michael Johnson where it doesn't, doesn't translate over to the grappling game. He could be in a, for a rude awakening, whereas Jake Matthews' striking is good enough to keep it standing early, but to set up a takedown. Once he gets on you, he's physically strong. He he's, is good You know, when he gets it to the he's ground. He's filled out quite good at 170 pounds. And then if he gets this fight to the ground, I think he's going to be okay. If he can get to the fight to the ground for the first two rounds, and even if he happens to just gas out, the kid hasn't been knocked out in six years since yeah. Kevin Lee was able to catch well, him, right? I I'm always, not particularly worried struck- about him getting knocked out. I think he's just got to get in there and get those takedowns. So live underdog here, plus 120, Jake Matthews. I mean, we're going all the way back to 2015. But like, I always struggle with Jake Matthews. And like I'm sure Akbar. he's improved so much. But that Akbar Areola fight, like I mean, it's a, do- or it's a stoppage after after two rounds. But... Akbar almost finished him. I mean, there's so much. It was what seven years ago now. That makes me feel old. That would to have that been, point. That would have been earlier on old. in our uh, in our podcasting days for sure. Um, but a yeah, that one thousand. He was a massive favorite. Almost got deaded, and I was just like, tread lightly on this guy. I feel like Jake Matthews is a very popular pick around the industry right now this week. And I guess it is. Oh, is it he, makes yeah. sense. It's like, I, I see it's a I question. Like, yeah, Andre Fialo, nobody's really tested that grappling. Um, Jake is going to try as long as he doesn't get clipped early on. I, I'll, I'll side with you. Dogger pass. We'll go with Jake Matthews. Any final thoughts that, on that? Uh, yeah, that, that Akbar Theriola fight, right? So I'm matchmaking a card right now in Niagara Falls. Very, very difficult because a lot of guys don't want to fight each other. Worst thing to happen in a regional show MMA, Data White's Contender Series. Guys don't want to fight each other now. They just want to get a quick little 3-0, 4-0, 5-1 record, fight in the Contender Series. That's where the money's at. That's where yeah. fighting for bigger opportunities at. So a lot of guys will avoid each other, right? So I got this 18-year-old kid right now. The kid looks legit, right? He's Ukrainian Sambo champion. He's moved over. Uh, he's on a student visa. Looks like he's going to be a legitimate prospect. So perfect. I want to set this guy up. His management team, his coaching staff, they don't want to take a hard fight because he's 18 years old. So it's like, okay, well, will you fight this guy? No. Will you fight this guy? No. Will you fight this guy? No. Then you might offer them a guy that's got a bad record. This guy's 0-3. Would you fight the 0-3 guy? And they're like, 
Ah, uh, he looks big. Ah, uh, he looks old. And uh, it's frustrating as a matchmaker, but you can understand it. Is that a kid shouldn't be fighting a full-grown man. It doesn't matter how good the kid is. The other guy is a full-grown man, and it's a giant advantage. So if you're moving up, even when it's like, oh, you're fighting a bum guy up a weight class, moving up a weight class, dangerous, right? The guy's going to be a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Uh, and people just expect you to go get this quick win. When he fought Akbarth Areola, he was 21 years old. Akbarth Areola, 32 years old, okay? So he got booted in the face, hit the ground as a minus 1,000 favorite, and looked dead in the water, rallied back and won. That says something about this kid. He's won a lot of fights in the UFC, just none of them meaningful. His losses, decent enough guys. Has he jumped over the hump? Perhaps not. Can he go out there and jump over the hump against this guy? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Grappling is going to be a big key to it. But Andre Fialo is not a world beater by no stretch in the imagination. So as a live underdog, I, I see why other people would be thinking the same thing. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the value side. You're one of the value boys. This is the value side. All right, we got Dana Bakuri taking on Kyung Hyo Kang, minus 140 Bakuri. Plus 120 for Kung Hyo Kang. I, we were both on Gutierrez against Dana Vakari. I felt pretty good about that situation because I was like, you know what? Chris Gutierrez, great chin, excellent mobility. Going to utilize those kicks. Pulls off, gets, gets the dub for me. I'm like, but I saw a lot of hate on Twitter about Dana Bakari. And I was like, we're going to get a great spot. It's coming. A great spot is coming for Dana Bakari. They give him Kung Ho Kang, Mr. Perfect. Hasn't been knocked out since soccer kicks in twenty in two thousand and eight. Not exactly the spot that I was looking for um, here. I was hoping for somebody with a little bit of chin issues because I'm not giving up on Dana Bakari. I just thought that Gutierrez just had him out. He was just way more technical on the feet um, and had the chin to hold up in these exchanges. Uh, I like Dana Bakari. I would like him a lot more if I thought he could knock out uh, Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect could turn this into a grappling fight, and I'm just not sold. You know, you look at the Dana Bakari fight, uh, two fights back. or No, sorry, his UFC debut when he took on... Uh, Haile Alatang. Haile Alatang. And uh, Alatang finally, like, what was it? Round three was able to start move or getting those takedowns in and uh and made it very very interesting kung Ho kang we haven't seen in quite some time it feels like not sure what to expect from him. he's already 34 years old uh well it hasn't been that long it was november um but before that it was two years Boy, I'm going to go with Dana Bakari. I think he lands the much cleaner, better strikes on the feet. But, uh, but yeah, man, I was just hoping for... I was hoping to to secure a Bakari by knockout because I felt like the market, everybody was is kind of moved off of this guy. They're, they're, you know, after his little run of knockout wins over people, uh, everyone kind of got scared off. But, yeah, he had three first-round knockouts. Uh, over Kennedy, Natividad, and Brandon Davis. Guy's got explosive explosive hands. But Kung Ho Kang is another guy that's going to slow down the pace of the fight. Use some cage control, yada, yada, yada. So, 
yeah, Bakary is my my pick, but again, they're they're not matching them up the way I want them to match up. I, I feel I felt like if if we took on maybe even somebody who's a little bit more well known, but with like a little bit of a questionable chin, we'd be we'd be looking at a really good spot here. Um, like imagine if like Garbrandt came back up to like one thirty five, and it was Garbrandt versus Bakary. Imagine what you would get on like Bakary by knockout. That would be good times. That would indeed be good times. I completely agree. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna take a flyer on the underdog here, the plus money on uh, Mr. Perfect. If if you told me he was the favorite, I would take a flyer on his opponent for the simple fact that he's always in these really close, dicey, greasy ass fights. His record to date in the UFC, he had a split decision against Bruce Leroy back in the day, which end up being a no contest split uh doesn't matter is it but, but split decision right and then against michinori tanaka he won a split decision against ricardo ramos he lost a split decision against brandon davis he won a split decision against ping yu liu he won a split decision and in that ronnie yaya fight he lost a unanimous but he outstruck ronnie yaya 43 to 27 and knocked him down he just fights the stupidest game plans paul like my god he's a fantastic athlete Guy can wrestle for days, but he, he kind of got his career sh- uh, cut short because he went and did like mandatory military service in Korea. And since he's come back, it's like strange opposition, strange fights. They generally try to book him on these Asian cards. Uh, when he fights in the U.S., not great, but the guy is a good athlete. He's a good grappler. He has that wrestling in his back pocket. I need him to lean on that. You mentioned the fact that he hasn't been knocked out since 2008. That's going to be key as well because Bakary does hit like a hammer, but you need to take a few shots lean with it, and then get to the wrestling. The wrestling is going to be the key here. If you look at all of his fights, he scores takedowns, okay? He took, he scored uh, two against Shimizu, three against Chico Camus, one against Guido Canetti, one against Ricardo Ramos, one against Teruto Ichihara, three against Brandon Davis, three against Ping Yu Lu. Two fights that he didn't score any takedowns, and he loses them, as, uh, as the ground specialist or high-level BJJ black belts. He didn't want to take down Ronnie Yaya because... Uh, you obviously don't really want to go to the ground with a guy like Ronnie Yaya. Same thing with Michihiro Tanaka. Same thing. He didn't want to go to the ground with him because he was accredited as like a high-level BJJ guy, so he doesn't take him down. All of his other fights, he uses that wrestling. So I have no reason to believe that he wouldn't use his wrestling in this spot against Batgrill. Uh, meanwhile, when you look at Dana Batgrill, his UFC debut against Haile Alatang, he gets taken down three times. His takedown defense doesn't look all that good. His grappling looks lackluster, to say the least. Here's the issue. Next fight against Guido Canetti, Guido shoots zero takedowns. The next fight against Kevin Natividad, Kevin Natividad tried zero takedowns. Brandon Davis, zero takedowns. Chris Gutierrez, zero takedowns. Not one single guy in his next four fights even attempted a takedown. Well, in fairness to those other three, the three wins, is that they were dead. Diced. They were dead yeah. before, before they could even think about getting a takedown. What's Guido Canetti's fight style? Off the top of your head. Just spams left kicks and left hooks. Yeah, and like, what's Brandon Davis's fight style? Like, they're has, both, they're both has a Homer Simpson chin <laughs> and and brawls. I Usually, had, he had he had a hell of a chin leading up into that fight. That was uh, yeah, the first time he'd really yeah, been cracked. Yeah. Kevin Natividad, meanwhile, had gotten knocked out by Miles John in like spectacular fashion. One fight prior, his chin was potentially suspect. He'd been knocked out, I think, in a lot of fights. I think he's got a bad chin, doesn't he? Yeah. 
yeah, you know, Dana breaks those guys because they're not all that good. Against a guy that's cast iron, we'll be able to take some punches and hopefully complete some takedowns, go through the fire if need be, and then grapple him in spots. I think he's got a chance. I think this fight goes 15 minutes. I think it goes to decision. I think it could be a split. My guy wins splits as much as he loses split, but he's the underdog, right? So I'm willing to take that shot because I know what I'm getting myself into. Whereas like Bakary is a murderous power puncher. I thought he looked career best against Brandon Davis. He really did look good in that fight. Um, but those are all strikers. It's a little bit harder to gauge how he's going to do here against a guy that is capable of just taking him down if need be. And when he does take him down, he's got the grappling to stay on top and be heavy. Yeah. Last one. Here's a little greasy theory for you. Kyo Hung, uh, Kang Hyung Ho, however you want to pronounce the name. It's Korean. Sometimes it's forward, sometimes it's backwards. His Kyung losses Kang. in the UFC. Yeah, Kyung Ho Kang. His losses in the UFC. Ronnie Yaya, which was in Las Vegas. Ricardo Ramos, which was in LA. Chico Camus, which was in Wisconsin, right? He's lost. His three losses in the UFC are when he fights in America. All of his other fights, he's fighting down there. Australia, similar time zone. Korea, Japan. Wins in those fights. Hell, he's already fought in Singapore, and he won that fight as well. For the UFC. So uh, he, I think you're going to get a much better version of him when he fights on these cards than you do when he fights stateside. There's no denying. His three UFC losses are all when he fought in America, right? So I, I think you're going to see a slightly better version of him. More energy. Not as lethargic. Hopefully two rounds of cardio instead of just one and a half like he normally brings to the table. And he gets those takedowns and he makes it happen for himself. So I'm going to go with the live underdog shot. All right. Moving on down. We've got Silvana Gomez Juarez taking on Na Liang. Minus 150, Juarez, plus 130, Na Liang. The most interesting thing of this fight is that it's a women's strawweight fight. The over-under set to one and a half rounds, and the over is only juiced to minus 130. Now, if you go and watch Na Liang versus Ariane Carnalosi, this girl set a pace that, like, she doesn't have a seven-minute gas tank. So I understand, and and, and Silvana Go gomez Juarez is either icing people or getting iced, usually the latter. Doesn't have much of a submission, th uh, doesn't have much of a uh, ground game. Lost by armbar against Lupita Godinez in round one. Vanessa Demopoulos caught her, the, uh, the infamous jumping up into Joe Rogan's arms uh, photo for... Uh, for the or little, what little monstro or whatever the hell her name is, um, it's an intro. Uh, do we just close our eyes, Cody, and just bet a women's strawweight fight between two incredibly low-level strawweights, and just say this is going over one and a half rounds? Because like that's, I'm very tempted to do that. Um, I think both of these these women are the bottom of the barrel in this division. They found who they think is the worst uh, option on the roster to try to prop up Naliang, who is, I guess, you know, a, a local fighter that they're trying to promote. Um, she definitely gave Carnalosi some issues early on in that fight. But, yeah, she set a pace that she cannot keep. Do Does her team, does her corner, does everybody around her go – you can't fight like an absolute banshee because you're just going to gas out. And then they come in with a little bit more of a reserved type of style this time out. I'm very tempted to bet a women's, a low level women's strawway fight over one and a half rounds minus 130. That's, that's where I'm at. I, uh, I'll take Nali Yang as a pick. Um, 
maybe maybe it gets to a decision and you have like a real greasy split or something like that. Not really confident on a side, but I'm interested in the over because I think this is. I mean, you, one and a half rounds. The over is basically the same price as like the main event where you have Yuri Prochaska, who's like one of the most dangerous dudes at 205 pounds and, and Glover, who, if he gets the fight to the mat, is a submission whiz. They're, like, it's priced the same as that. Now, don't, yeah, well, don't, tell, don't tell me you're betting. The, you're, you're all about the under one and a half in this fight. No, but I'm an over guy, and I don't like the over in this fight. I think there's too many unknowns. There's women's MMA. You get real greasy real fast. Keep in mind that Silvana uh, Juarez Gomez, when she debuted in the UFC against Lupita Godinez, we all know about her boxing. She's got quick hands. She's got good striking. She goes against Lupita. Lupita just rips her to the ground effortlessly, arm bars in the first round. Fair. Lupita Godinez is a good talent. Now, keep in mind, Lupita Godinez has been, uh, to, in her last eight fights, seven of them have gone to decision. She's a decision fighter. Yeah. But when she fought Gomez Juarez, it only took uh, a couple takedowns, took yeah. her to the ground, arm bar, belly down arm bar, very uh, position you don't see very often in MMA, professional MMA, subs her effortlessly first round with an arm bar. She got caught. She got caught. Fair enough. Now that Vanessa Demopoulos fight, yeah, you see those hands on display early. She does have good boxing. She's got good power. She drops Vanessa Demopoulos. Now anybody with half a sense of reasoning would just back away and allow Vanessa Demopoulos to get back up because Demopolis doesn't have any striking and her wrestling's not very good. She's good at jiu-jitsu, but how is she going to get the fight to the ground? I'll tell you how she gets the fight to the ground because Gomez Juarez gets on top of her. They're very ill-advised. And then she proceeds to get quickly armbarred. So now she's lost back-to-back fights by first-round armbar. Nali Yang has seven wins by armbar. <laughs> so it's her favorite position. She generally likes to attack that arm. Like you said with Carnalosi, she started off well. Three takedowns in that fight. Uh, physically looked strong, but she was 24 years old. Very raw, very green. Not a whole lot of tra- high-level training. Not a whole lot of high-level competition. It wasn't a terrible performance for her, but she did gas out the longer the fight went and eventually got beat. Give her a little bit of time off. Give her a little more uh, training. I think she could go out there and definitely get a takedown against... She took down Carnalosi, who's physically strong and fit. I think she'll take down Gomez, who seems a little bit undersized. And if she gets on top of her... Who's to say she can't just snatch up an armbar? It's her favorite move, favorite position. Loves attacking it against someone in Gomez who just seemingly gives them up and gives them up quick. So as much as the women's MMA over one and a half always sounds like a good idea, this one also has armbar from guard written all over it. And so I don't know how much of an investment I would really want to go there. With Na Leong, if she does get tired the later the fight goes, then yeah, Gomez is going to keep it standing and you know, Gomez Juarez has way better striking. So if the fight does stay standing, I think eventually she'll chip away at her and beat her. But I, what I was, what I liked with Na Liang is that her ability or her willingness to stick to a grappling heavy game plan. Her last time out, her wrestling didn't look terrible. Her physicality didn't look terrible. Her grappling looked okay. It was the gas tank just completely bail, uh, you know, deserted her. She can go out there in Singapore, you know, not, not making some crazy trek, hopefully similar time zone, Second appearance in the UFC, over a year off, 25 years old, bigger, stronger, more mature. Then I think that she could potentially go out there and and make it happen. And then last but not least, here's somebody in Na Liang who fought, I think her entire career was in China. Oh, no, that's a lie. She fought once in Bellator way back when. Mm -hmm. And she lost that Bellator fight for the record, right? The rest of her career is exclusively in China. And then she debuts against Ariane Carnalosi in Florida on the Masvidal uh, Usman undercard, right? So... 
Here's another fighter where we talked about Mr. Perfect's in a similar situation. They compete at their best when they're in their homeland or nearby their homeland. It's more familiar to them. Then they are traveling to the other side of the globe in North America. Everyone speaks English. Uh, things are lost in interpretation. It's harder to get the same stuff that you would for your weight cut. Like It's just a different world. So if she shows up a little bit better than the last time we saw her, year off, year to mature, 25 years old, didn't hate what you saw the last time in, in, in sporadic spurts, fight in Singapore, you said it your best earlier. Why is Steve Garcia on this card? Yeah, don't bet a Well, why don't can you make a similar Steve. argument for Silvana Gomez-Juarez? Why is she on this card yeah. while we're trying to feed some of these Chinese prospects? This girl's young, mid-20s, something we can work with. We need to tailor-made some opponents for her. Maybe this is one of them. But but Juarez does have a huge striking advantage. I will admit that. But I think I'm going to take another... Uh, I think it's just a dogger pass in a women's MMA fight. Yeah. Plus 130, dogger pass, Naliang. But I think Naliang on DraftKings, Daily Fantasy Sports. I'm, unfortunately, Cody in Ontario cannot play um, these days. Hopefully, they rectify that soon. But 7,600 armbar. Rather than fight the armbar from guard, just embrace the armbar from guard. 7,600 on DraftKings. I think probably going to be a pretty popular play, but maybe not. It's a women's strawweight fight early on in the card. A lot of people may not be comfortable with it. There's definitely lots of volatility there. Um, she's plus 130 underdog. You know, some of the other props aren't going to look all that great. Uh, I'll probably lock her in and, and hold my breath. All right. And finally, we got Jocelyn Edwards taking on Ramona Pasquale. Minus 160 Edwards plus 140 for Ramona Pasquale. Uh, the pride of Hong Kong. Uh, her UFC debut against Josie Ann Nunez. I mean, she was tough. She was tough. The uh, the referee, I'm not, uh, who was the referee that night? He was willing to let her take an absurd amount of damage. Um, who was in the cage that night? I'm looking at you right now. Mark Smith. Mark Smith was willing <laughs> to let Ramona Pasquale oh, die. Man. She took a ton of damage. I was on Nunez inside the distance there too. Extra tilting. Good on her for having the heart, but she didn't really show all that many skills. Obviously, they're finding somebody with a little bit less uh, you know, a little bit less power in this spot with Edwards. But I, don't, I haven't seen much from Ramona Pasquale to get me too excited. Um, I think Edwards Edwards gets the job done. Um, she is going to be undersized. This is going to be up moving up to 145 pounds. Pasquale is is always a uh, is always a featherweight. I I don't know like Pasquale like what her fight on Invicta to get herself into the UFC. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, we talked it about it last time when, when yeah. she was making her UFC debut. It's just like that Shamir Pashua is just like, man, like I am, I'm a weakling. Every fighter on the UFC roster will absolutely, I could, I could, I could body Shamir Pashua. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to say that right there. I don't care how much guy. he's trained. I'm a tough guy, yeah, I'm such a tough guy. <laughs> but yeah, that fight was so pathetic that I was just like, is this the type of fight that is getting into you into the UFC these days? And the answer is yes. That is what, what it is these days. Um, Edwards is undersized at 145 pounds, but I think she's 
considerably more skilled, definitely uh, faster on the feet. Um, unless Ramona can completely bully her, do you think that's that's in the cards here? I mean, not a fight that I really want to get all that invested in, but Pasquale looked absolutely... She doesn't look like she belongs from what I saw in the Nunez fight. And I think Nunez is very, very good. But uh, Pasquale, besides being super, super tough, I didn't see much else there. Yeah, well, I can't fully disagree with you. I think that she was a little bit out of her element and uh, not exactly the best debut per se. But I, I think it's another dog or pass situation. I'm willing to take the underdog in both of these two first two fights, both women's MMA matches. I think the underdog's got a shot in both. But a lot of it's just stretching. I'm just stretching it for you and going with some narrative and how could she potentially win this fight. So here are a couple of things I, I do like for her. First of all, that Josia Nunez fight was at 145. That Shamir Peshawa fight, whew, was that a catchweight of 150? Her losses are all Janae Harding, 141. Jennifer Lee Norris, 145. She's fought at 145. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, okay, 150, I guess, is her career high. So I just feel like she's going to be a little bit stronger than Josia Nunes, who's coming up from 135 and wasn't particularly all that strong at 135. Like, if you look at how Josia Edwards has been losing, uh, Jesse Jess Rose Clark just pressed her up right against the cage and held her there. Why? Because she was significantly stronger than her. Bigger, stronger, better grappling, pressed her up against the cage. Carol Rosa, bigger, stronger, better grappling. Sarah Alpar, when she had lost that fight, if you rewatch that on LFA, bigger, stronger, better grappling. In fact, the Yanan Wu fight, Yanan Wu took her down early and was able to have some success in the grappling, but then just completely gassed out. You know, really wasn't meant to be. What I'm saying, though, is I think a bigger, stronger opponent could have some success pressing her up against the cage, especially now that she's moving up to 100 and uh, 45 pounds down from 135. Ramona Pasquale, meanwhile, she comes from more of a Muay Thai base. You can find there's tape online of her uh, competing in Muay Thai in Thailand, very low level, you know, Tiger Muay Thai, go for a vacation, take a couple smoker fights while you're down there, do it, do it this and that. But then she relocates full-time to Extreme Couture, sorry, Syndicate MMA over in Las Vegas. She's been spending a lot of time in Vegas. And what we see in the Josia Nunes fight is she is getting her ass kicked, right? And then there's, I think, 20 seconds left in the first round, and she shoots a takedown, and she gets Josia Nunes down. But it's like, well, she got shit kicked for the whole round, so she lost the round. It was cool she got a takedown in the last 10 seconds. The second round, she gets killed standing. 10 seconds left, she gets a takedown. She was actually getting takedowns, and her ground game looked good. She could have potentially given Josia Nunes a hard time. Her problem was is that she had no ability to figure out, I need to grapple right away. Her coaches are yelling at her between rounds, but she's not processing the information. Losing that fight would be huge for you because now you can go back home and watch the fight a hundred times. What did she gain from fighting Shamir Peshewa? Nothing. She gained nothing from fighting her. What do you gain from going 15 minutes with Jocelyn Nunes where your eyes swelling shut, where you're facing adversity, you're hurt, you're getting dropped, the referee's warning you, you got to protect yourself and you are protecting yourself to get those takedowns? That's a huge learning experience. So she's going to be comfortable in Singapore because she spent a lot of her time in Southeast Asia. And I think the training in Vegas has helped her. I think her coaching staff is going to get on her for this fight. Don't stand in front of her. Josiane Edwards is a stand-up practitioner. She's got decent boxing. She's training out of Iowa, out of a decent boxing camp. You need to press her up against the cage, wear on her, lean on her, and take her down. She was able to take down a much better opponent her last time out in Josiane Nunes. She was just doing it too late in the rounds. She's the bigger fighter, being a natural 45er, taking on someone moving up. So if she could use that size, use those takedowns, get her down, she could make this a greasy, dicey, shitty, 
uh, Moomin's MMA fight that you don't want a ton of exposure in, but you'd rather have the underdog. So I'm going to go with uh, another underdog here. I started dozing off just hearing, just thinking, just thinking about how a Ramona Pasquale win will look. Um, keep it right at the bottom of your PRPs for good <laughs> Keep it all the way down. All right, yeah, all, all I'm on so far this week, I got Mahashate, I got him plus 135. Not a great number. There's better numbers out there right now. One plus 150 at DraftKings Sportsbook. Plus, I've got the uh, the shoey on the line with you. Um pretty excited about that i think it's just the wrong fighter favorite but we'll we'll see we'll see if steve can pull through in singapore we'll see yeah they're, they're really propping up your boy steve over in singapore uh for this fight and uh, i took malcolm by decision plus 800 because i'm a degenerate um without further ado cody hit him with the prp we're gonna go with yuri although full intention of pulling the shoot if we get to the main event intact because like ah old man glover we're gonna go with uh valentin Shechenko, probably by decision we're gonna go with gianni and jacek underdog number one by decision i'm gonna go with cop in the late uh, tko stoppage we're gonna go with madalena probably by decision we're gonna go with brandon allen i would guess towards yeah i would guess now nah, i'm gonna say inside the distance brandon allen you know he's he's got some finishing ability malcoon's suspect uh Sung Wong Choi by decision Steve Garcia by decision I'm gonna go with Jake Matthews is gonna be underdog number two we're gonna go with Kyung Ho Kang dog number three Na Liang dog number four Ramona Pasquale dog number five I've effectively got the underdog in the first four fights on the card and Paul would have you believe that the first five fights on the card are good because he's got uh Mahashat but what I'll leave you with this is Mahashat, very young Chinese prospect. He maybe he'll be good down the road, but right now he's more like a zoo wrong. Too young. Gonna I thought lose. he was and everybody knows, Paul, you can't be zoo right when you're zoo wrong. And in your case, if you want the guy that's gonna mahashat in your apple pie, then you be my guest. <laughs> but uh, I think this could be a dicey card, but a fun card, and I am looking forward to it. I, uh, when I watched him on the contender series, I, I, I went back like a lot of the times when I'm like tweeting, it's so that I like, I'm basically making, it's like a notebook for me. It's like, I go back and search my, my name and the, and the name of that fighter. And I had to do a little bit of searching cause I didn't actually put his name in properly, but long story short, I called him the chosen one. Of all of these Chinese, uh, the people coming out of like uh, the, the Chinese uh, UFC gym. I think he, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, I think he has a lot of potential. He's obviously only 22 years old. I don't know anything about his grappling. I'm hopefully, if he can keep this fight standing, I mean, he's taking on a guy who got knocked down twice by Charlie Ontiveros. So I'm, I'm, ex I'm fully expecting Cody to be taking a shoey this week or next week on this program uh obviously back for next week's card i don't even know who's on next week's card i uh, want to thank pay-per-view pat mayo for all of his sweet cuts behind the scenes and cody saftik for gracing us with his knowledge as always for pat and cody i'm paul saying goodbye and good luck
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.